This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Stephen, Amara, Joanna, Susanna, and Caleb J. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question. And we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. We'll get started, as always, with a couple of serious questions. Both of this week's questions have to do with time, as you're about to see. Our first question comes from Stephen, and this is Stephen's first question to the big question. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Here's Stephen's question. When will Jesus come? Well, Stephen, it just so happens that this is an easy question to answer because Jesus gives us the answer himself. Unfortunately, it's not the answer we want to hear. In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 36, Jesus says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the answer is, nobody knows when Jesus will come. On the one hand, we know for certain that Jesus will come. He will return. He has promised that. But on the other hand, no one knows the exact time that this will occur. And that's why we should live in a state of constant readiness. We should never forget that Jesus is coming. And we should live every day with that hope in our hearts. Our next question comes from Amara. She asks, how long has Grace been a church? Well, Grace is, of course, a Presbyterian church, and Presbyterians have a funny word for describing the moment when a church becomes official. We call it particularization, and we call our churches particular churches. Now, what this means is that the church has its own government, the elders, before particularization, the church is governed by elders from other churches, but afterward it has its own elders. So before Grace was particularized, the elders from Living Hope nearby were the session that oversaw business for us, and then when we became particularized, we had our own elders and we could govern ourselves. Now, Grace became a particular church on February the 14th, 2010. That means this year we celebrated our 11th anniversary as a particular church. So you could say that Grace is 11 years old, which is a pretty good age to be. Now it's time for the big question. And our big question in this episode comes from Joanna. So let's hear it for Joanna. Here's Joanna's question, and it's a tough one. If God knows everything, and he knew that Adam and Eve would eat the fruit, then why did he give them a choice? Well, Joanna, this is a good question, in part because it's so complicated. And when it comes to understanding the ways of God, human beings like us are up against a pretty big obstacle because ultimately we only know as much as God reveals to us. Now, Joanna's question has three parts. There are two premises, and then there's a question that follows from them. 
Now, both of the premises are things that we do know because the Bible tells us so. So first, we know that God knows everything. In Hebrews 4, it says that there's no creature hidden from God's sight and that all things are open and laid bare to his eyes. According to the psalmist, God knows the secrets of our hearts, and he has infinite understanding. Really, throughout the Bible, we find that there is no limit to God's knowledge. So the first part of that statement we know to be true. God knows everything. Which means, secondly, that God knew that Adam and Eve would eat the fruit. That follows from the first point. If he knows everything, then he knows this thing. So when human beings fell into a state of sin in Genesis chapter 3, God wasn't taken by surprise because God's never been taken by surprise because God is all-knowing. So those are two truthful statements. The question is, if they're both true, then why did God let it happen? Why did he let Adam and Eve eat of the tree? Joanna asked the question this way, why did he give them a choice? But we could also ask, why did he let the serpent get into the garden? Or why was the forbidden fruit in the garden in the first place? I mean, who puts a tree like that in the middle of a garden? So let's start with what we know the answer cannot be. It cannot be that God didn't realize what would happen. We've already ruled that out. And it cannot be that God realized, but there was just nothing he could do. Because God is not only all-knowing, but he's also all-powerful. So in other words, all of the easy options are off the table. What we need here is for the Bible to just tell us the answer, to just give us the reason why God did this. But does it give us that reason? Well, the answer is yes and no. Now, the Bible never just comes out and says, here's why God let the fall happen. But in a way, the whole story of salvation is an answer to that very question. Here's what I mean. In the Westminster Confession, there's a chapter on free will. It's chapter 9. It just so happens that we discussed this chapter today in adult Sunday school. So if your parents were there, you can ask them about this. Now, this is what the Westminster Confession says about human freedom, about our choices. It says that God has endued the will of man with natural liberty, so that it is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. In other words, Adam and Eve had the power to choose good, but they were also capable of change. In other words, they could also choose evil, which is what they did. Now, If they could choose evil and actually perpetrate evil, then their humanity wasn't yet perfected. Because in glory, when we are perfected, we will be free to will and to do the good alone, as the Westminster Confession says. After all, the ability to do evil is not freedom. In the Bible's eyes, the ability to do evil, that's that's a form of bondage. So... What this suggests is that Adam and Eve were being tested in the garden. If they had been obedient, then they would have attained glorification. They would have had that perfected humanity that we look forward to. But instead, they sinned, resulting in our fall and all the sin and misery and death that has come along afterward. Now, God didn't just let this happen. 
From the beginning, he always had a plan to fight it by sending Jesus. Jesus became fully human, and just as Adam could act for all his people, Jesus acted for all his people too. Jesus obeyed where Adam sinned, and through Jesus' obedience, we can now enter into the state of glory that Adam forfeited. And in Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us why God did it this way. He predestined us for adoption in Jesus, as Paul says, according to the purpose of his glory. And he did it to the praise of his glorious grace and to the praise of his glory. In other words, at the end of the day, God worked the whole plan of salvation from beginning to end the way he did for his glory. And the more we understand this great work of God, the more glorious he appears in our eyes. Now, I realize that this doesn't explain everything, but it does let us know that everything that God has done, even when we don't understand it, was done for his glory and is utterly good. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. We have questions this time from Susanna and from Caleb J. First, Susanna asks, why did John the Baptist eat so many bugs? Do I have to eat bugs? Susanna, I have a feeling that even if I said that you should eat bugs, you probably wouldn't do it. In fact, I hope that you wouldn't do it. You definitely shouldn't try to live on a diet of bugs. And to be honest, we don't know that John the Baptist ate bugs bugs in general, just that he ate locust in particular. I'm not sure how selective he was. All I can say for certain is he did eat locust. Now, the point of his diet, which is reported to us in Matthew's gospel, seems to be that John the Baptist lived off the land in the wilderness. Like an Old Testament prophet, he was a man that God had sustained through hardship in that wilderness. He wasn't a man of of ease and comfort. And so when he came out of that wilderness proclaiming that message, he was like a voice in the wilderness that had been prophesied. But having said that, Susanna, if you want to eat bugs, people do say that they're high in protein. I don't know if they taste very good, but perhaps if you eat them with honey, you might like them. And now Caleb J. wants to know, what was your average grade in sixth grade? Caleb, my average grade in sixth grade, and honestly in every class that I've ever been in where they gave out letter grades, was an A. That was true in grade school, uh, all the way through grad school, and even in seminary. Now the problem is, this wasn't because I was necessarily the best student, or because I studied the hardest. It was mainly because I had a very good memory. When I was younger, I could always remember what the teacher had said in class or what we'd read in books, and being able to remember that stuff really helps a lot when it comes to taking tests or writing essays. To be honest with you, I even got an A in swimming class, even though I don't actually know how to swim. I guess I just test well. Unfortunately, the older I get, the worse my memory becomes. And that's why I'd much rather teach a class these days than to be a student. 
Now that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. So never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. So until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.